0: Snuff Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. Today we're talking about the immigration crisis as the headlines shriek uh, in America down the Mexican border. I mean, this has been an issue that's been brewing for. God, decades, Keith? And, of course, over the last couple of months, we've seen Donald Trump implement a strategy which involves separating families at the border. This week in the media, there have been children uh, caught on camera crying for their parents, uh, locked in cages upon arrival in America, waiting for housing, and it has caused an absolute uproar in America. So the last couple of days... Um, Donald Trump has doubled down on that. He has uh, come out and backed his own strategy for dealing with immigration and the separation of of parents from their children. Until today, extraordinarily, he has come out and finally just put this to end and say he's going to end it immediately and realise that the public opinion is not going to go his way on this one. But it brings up the border issue of immigration policy in America.
1: Keith, such an issue for so long. Absolutely. So somebody enters the United States legally or illegally at the rate of one every 18 seconds. Um, now, a lot of those are people like myself who travel to the United States so where are entering quite legally. But you do have a lot of people who try to sneak in because obviously the American economy is a good place to be compared with, say, Mexico. And also you've got so much gangland violence in Mexico and Central America generally partly prompted because of Americans, I've got to say, and their taste for drugs and their ability to export guns. So in a sense, America is getting an element of payback by the virtue of the, all these people that are trying to get into the country. The problem is that there is what is required is an overall immigration settlement, and that's not going to be achieved. So what we've seen in the last uh, few months has been a zero tolerance policy, um, which did exist in law, but was never implemented. But the zero tolerance, as you indicated, meant that um, on the border, children and babies were then separated from their parents. The parents went into detention. The children went into foster care. Um, I've noticed that um, 10% of the 2,500 who have been confiscated uh, have now gone up to New York City. The mayor of New York has complained that no one told him that who's getting 10% of these uh, asylum seekers or whatever you got, the children thereof. So it's an absolute mess. So the specific issue that has caused so much strife has been the decision to separate, as you say, the parents from the children, children to go into to foster care. It was done through administrative fiat. It was an announcement made by the Attorney General, Jeff Sessions. That was done at the end of April, beginning of May. This has caused an absolute, as you say, an absolute uproar. It's a great example of a repeat of the Alan Kurdi tragedy. Remember, Alan Kurdi was that little Syrian boy who was washed up on the Mediterranean coastline and you see him there lying dead on the beach. Um, this one image shows the power of the media. This one image transformed the debate for a short time about Syrian asylum seekers. So in Australia, for example, we had state premiers competing with each other to see who could bring in the larger number of uh, Syrian asylum seekers. This is an absolute nightmare for immigration officials, because when people think in, in broad terms of numbers... They're not that worried. But you think about the individual, or in the case it was Alan Curdy, it was a dead boy who'd been photographed. The photograph, by the way, is so haunting that certain German media outlets will no longer carry the photo because they've had so many complaints because their readers find it so distressing. So you've got the Alan Curdy photo and then what we've had in the United States have been the recordings of those um, children and babies crying out for their parents so this is an absolute nightmare for immigration officials because as Stalin has said that the death of a million is a statistic but the death of one person is a tragedy and now we're at that tragedy level. Um, and so uh, Trump originally, I think, was taking this hard line as a way of saying, look, I am going to keep on a hard line with protecting our borders and also as a way of trying to force Congress to agree to finance his proposed war across the southern border of the United States. Um, That has blown up against him because you've had this media storm with so much outrage being expressed about the confiscation of children. Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, who's a Methodist, has had his own Methodist church turn against him in the last few days. They've disowned him. Every surviving First Lady, in other words, the wife or widow of a president, has come out against this policy. And Melania Trump, uh, President Trump's wife has also now joined the ranks. Mrs. Bush um, has actually said this is what we did in World War II with the confiscation of Japanese-Americans. Uh, so it's quite amazing. You know, you've got the right against Trump. You've not only got the left, but you've got the the right as well coming out against Trump. So Trump, um, in the last few hours, with a flourish, has signed an executive order, Um saying that he's reversed that previous decision. The fact is he didn't need to sign that executive order. No executive order was required. He could easily have rung up the Attorney General and said, look, reverse the announcement that you made at the end of April. Uh, But instead, he he took this very hardline position. A lot of the time, people were saying there is no legislative problem about just uh, abandoning that April decision. Trump kept saying, no, 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 I need to have a change in Congress. Fact is, he didn't, and he proved that in the way that he signed the executive order, And but it hasn't solved the problem. You've still got 2,500 children that are separated from their parents, and we don't know what's going to happen in, after 20 days. This is a particular period laid down in American law. What What's going to happen to those children after those 20 days? Will the children, in fact, be permanently lost in the American administrative system? And will they become vulnerable to paedophiles? Obviously, if you're a private provider of care, you're loving this. You're making a lot of money out of this. That's that's the reason why we have that tape recording of the babies, because there was actually a whistleblower in one of the detention centres who was so appalled about what was going on that he recorded it quite inappropriately. But that's what's got into the American media. Um, of course, in Australia we avoid all of this by putting our asylum seekers on a separate island and not allowing the media anywhere near it. If you had the media on Manus, etc., you would end up with an outrage.
0: So let's talk about the broader issue of the mass immigration that America has. So we look at Australia and we think, well, there are some pockets of society that think that we take too many immigrants into Australia uh, and refugees. However, in America, it eclipses the number of people we have because from the, the south of America and the central America, they get hundreds of thousands a year.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And and of course, nobody takes Australia seriously. I go to conferences and you know, uh, nobody wants to listen to an Australian talk about an asylum seeker issue. We don't have a problem. We are the largest country in the world completely surrounded by water. We have a giant moat. The reason we are so precise about the number of people who've come into Australia is that we count them one by one. If you're in an African country where people walk over your border, you suddenly end up with one of the biggest cities in Africa, which can be created in a few weeks. That's the mass movement of people. You've got a number of, of bigger issues involved. One, the really, really big issue that no politician wants to talk about is that we're moving into an era of the mass migration of peoples. So this week, we've just had the UN High Commissioner for Refugees issue a report saying that we now have 68 million people who are displaced, so they are... Uh, asylum seekers, they are refugees, and also displaced people, in other words, people who are within their own country. They're not in somebody else's, but they have moved away from where they would normally live. So that's almost 1% of the world's population have been moved, right, in the past year. So we have this really big issue. We've got an issue of climate change. You know, we've got rising sea levels in our own region, for example, uh, speculation about uh, what island disappears first? Most likely it's going to be the Cartwright Islands in Papua New Guinea. In uh, the United States, have already worked out which piece of the US goes underwater, um, Kivalina in Alaska. They've already worked out the village, which is going to disappear. So you've got this really big issue of changes in the environment, climate change, all of that, um, and the fact that countries are having greater and greater difficulty trying to maintain order Um, And, of course, we're heading into a period of immense economic dislocation. These are all the big picture issues that, in this series, I can deal with on podcasts, but I can't deal with them on TV or radio because they're just too big, they're too mind-boggling, and politicians don't want to hear about them anyway. Uh, But that's the really big issue um, about how we're going to come to terms with this mass movement of peoples. Moving down the spectrum, the next issue is the fact that in the United States, you've got a number of different immigration issues. Uh, One is a whole question of undocumented Americans. In other words, these are people who are living in America and they don't have immigration papers. So they think, because nobody knows for sure, but they think the number is at 10 million.
0: Whoa, that's an issue. 10 million
1: people they think are undocumented. Um, and this gives rise to a whole variety of other issues. That's in half a,
0: Australia, by the way.
1: Half of Australia. <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> almost. almost half. Half Australia. Yeah, they think, because after all, these are undocumented. They don't appear in government statistics, which means that, for example, if you're a female rape victim, you can't go to the police because you would have to admit that you don't have the proper papers to be there. So you've got all of those issues. You've got all these undocumented workers, Um and I might also just say that one of the reasons why the Congress can't get agreement on comprehensive immigration reform is that both parties are split. So if you're a conservative and you run a business, like a, a fast food chain, without mentioning names, you love undocumented workers, you love migrants because they're cheap and they don't complain. They work hard because they've got no one to complain to. The ideal workers. Ideal workers. Um, Remember, President Clinton had all the problems of trying to appoint a female attorney general. I think he got one on his third attempt. The problem is for the first two women, they were employing illegal (laughs) migrants. They were looking after the children. Who's going to do the gardens? Hmm. Who's going to look after the kids? You employ migrants to do that, if you're of a certain level in the American society. So you've got some conservatives with some business interests who welcome Having these undocumented people because they've got a good work ethic, they're scared of complaining, and you don't have to pay them very much money. Other conservatives uh, take a hard line, and they say this: these are the people who vote for Trump. Um, some rich people also vote for Trump, but you get a lot of poor people who are saying these people come in, they work for they work very hard for a small amount of money. They're taking our jobs, so they're the, so they're on the right. That's the split on the right. That's the but, Trump. Uh, that's the, pretty much the base. That's the base. But then you go over to the left of uh, the the politics, you've got the Democrats who are taking this more idealistic approach to politics who are saying, well, um, young Americans are not having children. White Americans are, are not having children. It's called the browning of America. It's greying and it's browning. So America is getting old and it's getting brown. In other words, whites are not having children. Your contemporaries are not having children. Instead, it's, it's more Latinos and people of colour. They're the ones who are having the the children. Um, And so you've got some people saying, we need to bring people into this country because we're running out of young people. It's an issue that's also not publicly debated very much, but you've got it in China. China may grow old before it grows rich. Japan has a shrinking population. It will not allow in migrant labour. So it's actually, that's why it's got the largest number of robots in the world, because they're running out of people to do the menial way. So the Democrats are split. On the one hand, you've got these idealistic people, but at the same time, you've got those who are members of the unions who make a, a complaint about people coming over here, working hard and taking our jobs. Mm. So the parties are a split. So you, you've you got this whole undocumented worker issue or a uh, resident issue, which has still not been resolved. And I just don't see how they're going to be able to resolve it because everybody has got divided opinions on this.
0: So obviously majority coming from Mexico or is it just a mix of all the different Latina countries?
1: Oh, a mix of, of all the countries from Latin America, Central and uh, Latin America, and also from overseas as well you know, outside of the Americas.
0: So on the Mexican border specifically, I mean, Mexico in general has a whole myriad of issues, the main and the most documented being the drug issue. So are a lot of people fleeing violence in Mexico?
1: Yeah, so if you look at what constitutes um, a refugee, it's a well-founded fear of persecution on the grounds of race or religion. Um, That's a definition that arose to cater for the Jews after World War II. Um, and so a lot of the refugee legislation is still a reflection of what happened in World War II. But increasingly, people are moving because the, the seas are rising, right? And previous New Zealand Prime Ministers has already said they will take in what they call environmental refugees, but it's not a category recognised in law. So in the case of Mexicans, you're dealing with people who are fleeing violence, okay, but they're not violence against them as an ethnic group. They're just caught up in gangland battles. It's, it's not as though they're, the Jews being persecuted as a specific minority as they were in World War II. So – yeah, sure, they're, they're fleeing violence, but they're not fleeing because they're being persecuted. They're all Mexicans. It's just there's a gang situation. And then you have also, again, not recognised in international law, what are called economic um, refugees. In other words, people are just fleeing from one country to another, looking for a better life. They're not being persecuted by the government, except the government's obviously doing a lousy job in generating economic opportunity, but that they, they are also people who are on the move. So you've got all these different categories. International law. Is also lagging behind. So I've got to be careful as I criticise the Americans for being behind. I've got to say international law is also very confused on this. And the worry is that if we try to amend the Basic Refugee Convention and a subsequent protocol, we might end up with something far less than we've got now.
0: This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. We're talking today about... U.S. immigration policy, Uh, there was a strategy um, signed, put into action back in April by Jeff Sessions, the Attorney General, which um, ordered parents and children at the Mexican border with the U.S. to be separated from their or uh, well, children to be separated from their parents. Uh, and then this week it's come to a head because of the uh, the recording of children crying out for their parents and the heartbreaking footage of kids inside cages where they're waiting for accommodation. Um, and Donald Trump, first of all, doubled down on his belief that this is the right way to go. Earlier this week, twice in two different press conferences and has finally come out and said, okay, and realised that it's just death by this policy. Everyone on both sides of of um, the political sort of thought process is not for this at all. And so we're talking about the broader issue of US migration, what the issue is, where they're coming from. Uh, let's talk about the wall, Keith, because right. this was an election promise that yep. Trump made a few years ago. He was big on it. Plus, he's had meetings with the Mexican president who said, no, they're not going to pay for it. But Trump, in his campaign, promised that Mexico would pay for it.
1: Yeah, well, the Mexicans won't. It's a hot issue in Mexico as well as the United States will be, for, of course, for the other reason. But the, the Mexicans made it clear they're not gonna pay, they're not gonna contribute towards it. Um the actual mechanics of trying to build the wall is is also a problem which has delayed things because some of the border between Mexico and the United States actually runs through the river. So how do you build well you can build a wall in the middle of the river, but it just adds to your engineering problems. I've got to say a company like Halliburton would love to get the contract, right? Whether or not the wall works, nonetheless it means a lot of money. And that's what we're talking about, right? If you're interning children, again there are private providers who are making a lot of money out of American taxpayers. Building this giant wall would also be good news for the construction firms. Um, so trying to build the wall is going to be difficult. The other, There is another complication because you might need to requisition private land to build the wall Now, you can do that if you're living in East Germany and you want to build a wall in Berlin. You can certainly do that. You're a communist country. You can just do it. In the United States, it's much more complicated, and you're going to be doing it in Texas, which got their own laws relating to to real estate. Real estate is very important in America, like it is here. Um, So is the US government intending to requisition land? to run a wall across somebody's uh, property. These are all the legal issues. This is going to be a a lawyer's picnic um, as people try to sort out the the actual mechanics of building the wall. Um, Google, by the way, as part of their contribution to this debate, have actually produced a little video which enables you to fly, so to speak, across the route of the proposed wall. And you can see what sort of the terrain is involved So it's going to be an engineering marvel to carry out that wall, but my guess is it'll never be built.
0: So at the moment, there are parts... My understanding—I've got very little understanding on this issue—but is there parts of the Mexican-American border where there is a
1: wall at the moment? Oh, absolutely, and that's and been up there, I guess, since, um, well, presumably the War of Independence, uh, the War of Texas Independence in the eighteen thirties. Takes us back to the days of the Alamo uh, when the Texans were fighting for independence. So there's certainly barriers to that, absolutely. Um, so it's not as though you just walk across. Um, automatically into the United States but there are obviously gaps there are area, there are areas of the desert where they don't have a fence because it's a very long I don't know can't remember now the distance there's a huge distance for building a wall but the areas near populated cities and down on the beaches for example on the United States and Mexico there are barrier in fact, some people actually use it for exercise purposes. You throw a ball over the wall to the Mexicans and they throw it back. So, again, there's another video showing this uh, beach volleyball of throwing the ball from the United States into Mexico. So, absolutely, there are barriers which are difficult to get around, but you've got others that are easier to get around. Um, and you also smuggle people through the border checkpoints.
0: And this is not an easy feat for some of the for some um, migrants into America, if they cross over at a desert point, there can be weeks where they're not found because they yeah. sort of go in the wrong direction and they walk across a desert for, and then they end up dying out in the desert. Like this is not it's not a straightforward proposition to get into America from Mexico.
1: No, it's not. Um, And even if you do try, we had a a tragic case of a a vehicle that was being chased by the the Border Patrol, which ran off the road and burst into flames. So yeah, it's a high risk activity. So you have to ask yourself, why are people taking these sorts of risks? And the fact is that they reckon that it's better to take the risk than it is to stay where they are in a bad setting in Mexico or somewhere else in Central Latin America. Uh, Life is pretty grim. I talk generally about looking at the world and there are certain oases of calm, Western Europe, including the United Kingdom, North America, um, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and perhaps the east coast of China. They are the areas of calm in an ocean of misery. If you look at the African continent, I probably ought to throw in Botswana because that seems to be fairly calm. Um, But generally speaking, when you look around the world, there are just so many problems. This is why I'm saying there's a bigger issue of debate here than the immigration issue of just asylum seekers trying to get into the United States or into Europe, Um, that there is this bigger issue that we, living here in Australia, are living a very privileged life compared with what you go elsewhere. But that, again, shows the division. You've got some people saying, yes, we have a privileged life, and we have an obligation to share some of our wealth with other people. You've got other people who will say, no, we are living a privileged life, but I'm not going to share it. I'm the first person in my family, in all the generations going back, particularly here in Australia, if you're living in the western suburbs, say, I'm the first person who's really had a bit of money. My fathers and my mothers, grandparents, great-grandparents, they all struggled. I'm the first one with a bit of money. You're not going to take that off me to give to a handful of asylum seekers coming in from Sri Lanka or whatever. So that that even in Australian domestic politics, there is this problem of world views. Um, some saying, well, we should be ready to share our wealth. Another saying, no, I'm not going to share my wealth. And besides, listening to Keith Sutra, I've just been warned that there is this ocean of misery out here threatening my wealth. There is a, a book that I don't recommend but I acknowledge that it exists Um, which looks at a flood of people coming in to Europe from India uh, across North Africa and into France and into the United Kingdom. It is a bestseller. I don't recommend the book. It's a racist book. But I acknowledge that because I read widely that there's a whole subculture devoted to the camp of the saints as the book is called it was written 40 years ago by a french writer who is still alive and it's a bestseller but in certain quarters i was about to say but are we
0: seeing that kind of migration from indians or not
1: well not the indians because thankfully see the best way to stop a lot of this migration is to give people an incentive to better stay at home so if a country is developed rapidly and the wealth is evenly shared they have an incentive to stay at home and not risk going overseas And it's interesting, for example, the number of Indians who are now leaving the United States, having made money, and going back to India to set up businesses. So if you go around Silicon Valley, information technology is also called Indians and Taiwanese. So they are the people who've gone over to California, learned the tricks of the trade, and now they're returning to India and Taiwan. Now, that's the ideal development situation. In other words, people do go back to their own societies, and therefore, they have no need to flee. That's a great scenario, but you end up also, you know, as I'm foreshadowing problems with information technology, loss of jobs for young people, et cetera, you end up with the violence that we've seen in the Arab world, the so-called Arab Spring. Unemployed young people who are very pessimistic about the future. And you build on top of that the issues of environment and climate change, et cetera. So the ideal arrangement for this world is that people would not flee from one country to another, but would have a good government, a good economy, a good social setup and they would flourish in their own country. They wouldn't need to go anywhere else unless they wanted to go as tourists, which from an Australian point of view, we would welcome. Remember, tourism is a major industry for us. We want to bring out wealthy Chinese into this country, for example. That's the ideal situation. But tragically, given the state of the world, we're a long way from that ideal situation of good government, good economics, good social policy.
0: So what's an example of a country where, I mean, I guess there's anyone that comes from Syria, for example, and is is an an example that... That country is just a mess.
1: It is a mess. The whole of the Arab world has got problems. Uh, And each Arab country, 22 of them, each one is different. Um, And we were expecting further problems in Saudi Arabia, for example. I I acknowledge the... uh, the de facto leader of Saudi is trying to update that country and peaceful change, allowing women, for example, to start driving. So he is trying to address some of these uh, social issues. But my fear is that we will end up with unrest in the whole of the Arab world, not just half of the states that are involved. Um, you, you've got a large number of young, unemployed people. Um, we're lucky in this country because um, the baby boomers are getting old and we've got reasonable social welfare net. Um, the housing prices are coming off the boil. So we're, I think we're reasonably safe here. Um, New Zealand obviously is flourishing as well. Scandinavia is doing extremely well. But then you just go over the border into somewhere like Russia um, and then again you have a variety of problems there. So it's it's a world of turmoil and so people are fleeing for what they hope will be a better life but the problem is that we do not have appropriate immigration regulations to cope with all these new categories of people trying to flee into our countries.
0: Wow. Well, that's another whole topic on its own. And Absolutely. we probably could go for hours talking about that.
1: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.